Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. You are listening to episode 148, and we are covering the top five horror movies of 1974 this week. Uh, good list. Big big year in horror, Frank. Um, oh yeah. How you feeling? I'm good. I'm looking forward to talking about all five of these movies. Um, very much enjoyed watching them all again. Yeah. So wanted to ask you as i kind of usually do um i don't think i did it last month uh, so what do you see thematically maybe going on in horror as we're getting kind of towards the middle of the decade now uh any themes or kind of relevatory things that are happening in horror in your mind um so when we talk about the fifth fifth and fourth movie we're going to talk specifically about some stuff that I think is really relevant, but um, for the most part, I think there's several of these movies have a very like almost like avant-garde feel to them in the way they're filmed, even if the subject matter isn't necessarily um, like out of the ordinary. Um, I think there's a lot of like artistry on display in these movies. Um, I think you're seeing a reaction in some ways to, again, like a step away from the more traditional, like gothic, like bodice ripping style of horror um, that was, you know, kind of par for the course from Hammer and Amicus and the old, like, universal style. Like, this is more topical horror in a lot of ways. Um, you know, you've got themes like, like, the encroachment of technology in the environment and censorship and um like the loss of like the heartland being like kind of driven away in lieu of like the expanse of suburbia i mean there's like a lot of themes like that that you see um there's some so i'll talk about you know just kind of beat you to the punch um some stuff that didn't make the list um you have a movie like death dream which is a um, really dark but interesting look at like the trauma of like losing a family member to Vietnam. Um, there's Beyond the Door, which is uh, you know funny. I mean, it's 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 an enjoyable movie, but it's a very low budget like immediate reaction to The Exorcist. Um, Pete Walker releases a movie that we've talked about this year called Frightmare, uh, which is kind of a really dark satire i guess on the the encroaching fear in britain of um like youth gone wild and the the mental health industry basically um there's it's alive you know which is the price of like science meddling with um you know like the human re reproduction and the human genome or whatever so there's some really interesting stuff like just from a different perspective of you know it's not really like necessarily zombies and vampires and ghosts or whatever even though those right. are there um and a lot of you know you're seeing again there's more of a more of a pull towards like psychological themes and horror there's more of a pull towards um sociological themes like from a horror element and all that stuff i think is um what continues through the 70s and then into the 80s uh so yeah i mean i yeah. I, I thought it was really interesting 
and again i think that there's a couple movies that we're going to talk about that definitely have there's actually there's one movie on this list that's sort of the odd man out and then there's two movies that are 100 related to each other and two movies that i think are kind of um spiritually related to each other even though they're like very different in terms of their um you know the way that they're filmed and the subject matter so yeah the the one thing that surprised me so far you know five years into the 70s um considering what i thought of it that i explained in the 1970 episode of thinking it was all going to be christopher lee type shit like the entire time with some exceptions i i'm really surprised by how progressive i mean nowadays people would call it woke but it's like you know how progressive a lot of these movies are in the 1970s which i did not feel that way i was surprised when we did the 80s movies how often i didn't feel that way um but they are dealing with a lot of different stuff here in terms of coming out of the 1960s particularly the american movies but even um as you're going to point out tonight like in england um a lot of stuff with feminism and a lot of stuff with acceptance and inclusivity and there's a there's a lot of things going on um during this time and it keeps continuing in the 75 as i've started that list a little bit so um yeah i'm really surprised by that and it's uh been heartening in some ways so i think part of it is similar to i mean this isn't like exactly like like a one-to-one like analogy but if you look at what happened in the mid to late 2000s in terms of horror like what's led us into the kind of the modern era of horror which is that people were just kind of making whatever they wanted to make you know they weren't it wasn't about trying to make money off a franchise or whatever and which is why when you see in the 80s like there's a lot of just very much like copycat run-of-the-mill um elements to those movies and even though there's some like fantastic horror movies in the 80s but you know everybody wants to have the next freddy or jason or michael myers and so there tends to be less um kind of like maverick filmmakers or people who are trying to like push the boundaries of what a horror movie is in lieu more of just like you know putting something out that's going to turn a quick profit in a grindhouse and then like hit the vhs market um because you know i mean that was people found that there was like a real easy way to recoup their losses because they were able to just put something on video right and even if it didn't make a whole lot of money in theatrically or never even get released theatrically as you see like later in the 80s um we're here i think you have some people that are legitimate artists like making these movies Mm -hmm. um and tackling themes that they find to be whatever like relevant or you know important at the time so but that's the 70s in general to me is it's just like yeah you know people who were reacting to the end of the 60s and the end of like the summer of love like feeling that existed i think in um especially like in the hippie community uh and then the growing question of mental health issues and the increase in um 
just awareness i think that people had in a psychosis and you know the idea of like someone could kill people just for the thrill of killing them or could have like a mental illness that caused them to like murder people and that's always exaggerated but you know i mean it's on three of these movies or four of these movies are that's what that's about you know is like that idea of repressed trauma and you know what causes a person to kill somebody so sure yeah no i i think yeah it's interesting to see so many of those themes still going that the that they deal with in the 70s and these horror movies still going on today like um and and i find that fascinating that there's like still like a lot a lot to be said by these movies if you watch them now um <clears throat> yeah agreed uh, yeah, there's, I, they, they were a lot more prescient and there's one movie that i always forget how much i love it that we're going to talk about on this list but like just the themes and it kind of like presaged so much that comes like so much later but um you know hugely influential so yeah uh one movie i did want to ask you about that you didn't mention is an anthology movie because i know you like those um it's part of the amicus um anthologies called from beyond the grave do you know this one i gotta look that's such a right right yeah it's um Peter Cushing, Peter Cushing's in one of them. Um, <laughs> Donald Pleasance and his daughters in one of them. David Warner's in one of them. Um, oh my God, I missed a chance to put David Warner on the list. I know that's why that's that's Damn the it, first thing that, that stood out to me. Uh huh. The guy that directed all of us, the guy that did Motel Hill, Kevin Connor. I'm not sure if I've ever seen this movie. Hmm. Interesting. Mm, maybe I have. Okay. Well, yeah, I've, I've. I don't remember it very well. I only remember the one the um the segment that's got nobody of note in it mm -hmm. the elemental gotcha ian carmichael is in it and margaret layton yeah gotcha so all right um i'll have to watch it I'm but it's on tubi i'm sure it is most of them are all right <clears throat> so let's go ahead and jump right in then um number five on your list is the house of whipcord it is directed by pete walker stars barbara markham patrick barr ray brooks and michelle and sheila keith it has no rating available from critics on rotten tomatoes and a 43 percent from audiences so you want to tell us mm. a little bit about this and why it's on the list um so Pete Walker directed film about uh, basically a woman who uh, runs a correctional home for wayward women, like women who have flaunted the conventions of society and need to be reined in. Um, you find out later in the movie that she ran a girls reform school and was summarily like kicked out after one of her charges who is this young like headstrong french girl um hung herself um under kind of suspicious circumstances 
Um, so she seduced and married a local judge um, who was similar to her in the mindset of like the world was becoming too permissive and promiscuous. And they basically took this old prison and converted it into um, like a makeshift jail where they kidnap women that they find you know, to be of unacceptable moral character and put them in there to reform them, but in actuality just end up like murdering all of them. Um, so the primary character uh, is a young French woman, um, Anne-Marie, who after becoming angry with her boyfriend at an art exhibit, um, runs into a, uh, a handsome, like dark young man named um, Mark E. Desaad, uh who kind of like tests her boundaries and excites her and she sort of falls for him and so they go on this weekend getaway to his parents house but it turns out it's this reform you know prison um and then the movie kind of follows her attempts to sort of escape and there's other women there and um stand up to the guards and whatever and uh she ends up trying to escape once getting caught tries to escape a second time but ends a um one of my favorite mo like motifs in horror movies is she gets away and this kindly truck driver picks her up and she's in shock and disheveled from you know the efforts of her escape like through this rainstorm running like five miles through the woods in a burlap sack and so the closest place he can find to take her back to is this place that he thinks is a hospital which is the reform school um and they take her back and um, she ends up getting hung for the escape attempt. There's a subplot where they all have three strikes. And if you get to your third strike, you end up getting like hung. Um, there's her best friend and um, her best friend's boyfriend are looking for her. So her best friend like kind of finds the place through some amateur sleuthing um, and tries to rescue her. And then the boyfriend has to come and um, it ends up where the woman uh, murders her judge husband who's um, become like blind and senile because he stands up to her for her atrocities because he realizes at the certain point that she's actually killing these women and no one's actually being reformed and put back into society um, and then she ends up hanging herself before she can be brought to justice so uh, really strong performances um, I think by all the principals in this movie um, particularly Sheila Keith which yeah. this is her first, I think first movie, but definitely her first um, collaboration with uh, Walker. And the same year she would later go on to star um, in what I consider to be like her best role, which is as the mother in uh, Frightmare. Um, really fantastic, like, like seemingly normal, but on the verge of being unhinged, she plays really well. Um, here she plays kind of like a, elderly matron like ilsa queen of the ss mm -hmm. type like warden or um head prison guard character um what is the name Anne michelle is that the name of the woman that plays the uh barbara markham who plays margaret wakehurst who's yeah. the warden of the facility yes. um amazing performance just as like this person who's always on the verge of committing acts of violence and is like just really i mean it's, it's really kind of like almost 
super relevant today because it's someone that's acting under the guise of morality and righteousness but is really just like a sadist um yeah same with the sheila keith character uh she's fantastic in the role um i really like uh what's her name um i guess it's penny irving right plays uh penny irving plays and emory yeah um the guy that i love in this movie and he's he's actually in a movie from earlier in the 70s called vampire circus um mm-hmm. is robert Taman, who plays uh marquis de sade mm-hmm. um i like he's fuck how did i characterize him he's like like a slimier um shit timothy dalton basically mm. like yeah. this like they got like, somewhere eyes too yeah, yeah weasley face like timothy mm-hmm. dalton scumbag type guy that and ultimately like all these people are doing this because they really think that um markham is or mark wakehurst is reforming these women when in reality she is using it as an excuse to kill them so Walker made this movie um, as a direct kind of like slap in the face to the censorship board and like the the prevailing like so- social mores in Britain at the time, which was kind of a move to conservatism. Um, yeah, because I can't remember how how does it, I should have written it down. It starts with like this thing dedicated to those who dedicated. Something. Yeah, I got it. Okay. This film is dedicated to those who are disturbed by today's lax moral codes yeah. and who eagerly await the return of corporal and capital punishment. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but yeah. it's just that it's a huge middle finger to the censorship board sure. where it's like almost supposedly like on their side, but then sort of showing the hypocrisy. Of, yeah, um, it's very, um, it's very like Poe-esque, I guess. Like, yeah. um, like that, that opening. Yeah, he, uh, uh, like, uh, yeah, I, it was interesting watching this in that regard, too, because um, I didn't know what this movie was about, and um, I ended up, like, watching it um, uh, the night that uh, the Supreme Court leak came out, <laughs> and um, that was a depressing viewing experience, Um <clears throat> given the nature of this movie and like what what's going on is in terms of the punishment that's taking place like from this kind of um far right of center um you know couple like with the judge and everything um pure coincidence like i said i had no idea what it was about but it was um a little bit more effective maybe i think because of that than it would have been had i watched it without that context yeah it's um it's interesting because walker Walker starts his career as a director by doing kind of like the, I don't know if you're familiar with like the Up series, um, Up with Blank, Um, but in Britain in like the mid to late 60s, there was this deluge of kind of nudie cuties, I guess that you would call them, Um, kind of the, what uh, Benny Hill comes out of, it's the idea of like, sort of like the page six girls where it's like, you know, flashing some breasts or but it's always in like a comedic way or there's, you know, some lighthearted element to it. Um, so well, that's what Penny Irving was. I read, right. Is she was like one of those like page six girls or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, which is funny because that's the picture that they show. 
like when the truck driver identifies her as you know he mm. sees basically a page six mm-hmm. like image of her um because her the you know in the movie her ex-boyfriend is a photographer that basically humiliated her by showing like a nude photo of her at an exhibit where mm-hmm. it was kind of mocking her nudity um but there's you know through the 70s and into the 80s there's a huge move to like really like puritanical traditionalism in in britain and this is where you know there's it's like the thatcher era so homosexuality is like a crime that you can get in prison for and there's this real big push against the idea of like moral impurity um and walker is if nothing else is like a very like progressive and open-minded dude um and you know basically just like a fuck you to that whole mm-hmm. mindset coming here in in this movie yeah. and i think it does a really good job of it um it's interesting because there's almost no humor to this movie um but it's not like completely stone-faced and dour at the same time either it's it's a good balance of i think kind of like a sardonic sense of humor to it where I mean, that's the whole scene is like where she's talking, she's French and she's talking to Mark, you know, Desaad and she's like, what is M.E.D.? And he's like, well, there's, that's my, my initials, Mark E. Desaad. And she's like, oh, it's funny because, you know, Mark E. Desaad. And he's like, no, I don't get it. And she's like, oh, well, never mind. I guess it's not important, but it's like, she's about to be kidnapped and taken to a place where she's mm-hmm. going to be sadistically tortured. Right. Um, so I don't know. And there's also the whole repressed sexuality element of like um Sheila Keith and the other war the other uh prison guard character where I don't think it's like an implied um lesbianism basically, but that they do deride some sort of like sexual perverse sexual pleasure from you know the torture of these women and like stripping them down and making them sure. like bear themselves in front of them and um yeah, just it's it's one of these movies that I mean, as evidenced by the fact that it's, you know, got no critical reviews. Um I think very, very underrated, um, kind of almost forgotten. Uh I had the privilege about, I don't know, fifteen years ago of getting a P. Walker box set for pretty cheap that uh um Scream Factory put out. And so I got to see a lot of his movies. Um, having no real exposure to him before that, except for the comeback. That was the only one I really knew. Um, I mean, I knew of him from reading like books, but it was really hard to find like his movies. Like you didn't really see him out mm-hmm. to rent all that much. So um, he's definitely a dude that's got like a really good artistic eye. Um, I think he's very clever in the way he films things. And I think he picks topics that are interesting. Um, just as like a caveat, like I think you'll find you get various degrees of enjoyment out of all like his movies because they're kind of uneven at times but when he's when he like he's hitting on all cylinders like it's really definitely worth watching and um this is one of those movies so yeah yeah i don't know who drew his posters either but i love the posters to his movies when you look at them um like uh this one i like a lot um i think it's it's and frightmare is the one with her with the drill um it's a yeah cartoonist drawing of sheila keith with drill 
um the comeback's got a great poster it's like the what's his name's face like kind of half melting with like the candle next to it mm-hmm. yeah no i really like the the art on on all those posters all the yeah. time when i see them well it's kind of a lost um lost art is a ridiculously like cheesy way to put it but it's something that actually um uh like mondo films and um oh fuck what is that company called uh the ones that do fantastic fest um anyway there's companies vinegar syndromes another one um that have taken like a great deal of care in re reigniting the painted artistic image for cover art and for like promotional material um i have a bunch of t-shirts actually from mondo that are just really nice like artistic renderings of different movies like i have a kill bill one that's a um collage of like all the faces of the characters in the movie like around you know um beatrice so Mm -hmm. but that's something that you know in the 80s when you're churning out movies you know straight to video like it's just easier to just put us you know whatever a screenshot or a still image mm-hmm. and call it a day so sure but when you're trying to draw people into a theater or just walking down the street or something like that i guess it takes i'll tell you if you ever get the chance um take a look at the art of hammer mm-hmm. like of their movie posters hammers movie posters were friggin' works of art like almost every single one is like amazing like painted and just beautiful um beautiful posters i'm looking at a few of them here but yeah i'll save this search i can look at them later but yeah i I see what you mean um so yeah so house of whipcord is probably not something that you would necessarily come across um but it's worth watching uh it is free on arrow i don't know if it's free anywhere else um arrow actually has all of pete walker's movies up um, well, not all of them. Arrow has the majority of Pete Walker's um, horror movies up. So if you have the chance, if you subscribe to it and you got, you know, a couple hours to kill, it's it's a good way to spend your time um, yeah. watching those movies. All right. Number four on your list is Let Sleeping Corpses Lie. It is directed by Jorge Grau. It stars Christina Galbo, Ray Lovelock, and Arthur Kennedy. It has an 86% from critics and a 70% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. So you want to tell us a little bit about this one and uh, why it's on the list? As a side question, did you look up the pronunciation of his first name? Jorge? Yeah. Uh, no. Only because I'm, I've seen interviews with him. I'm pretty sure he goes by George really yeah which really caught me George off guard huh. yeah that's interesting no i just assumed it was Jorge. um so i just looked up his last name yeah i i had this i had the same assumption but um yeah. i actually have a collector's edition dvd of this movie mm-hmm. and um i'm pretty sure in the interview they call him george and that's what he answers to so george growl then yeah um, cool. so i put this movie next to um house of whipcord i mean i think that that's the appropriate places for him on the list but also because i think spiritually there's some similarities to him so this movie is about this london art dealer or antiquities dealer who is going to take this fertility statue um to the countryside where he's purchased a house that him and his friends are gonna 
kind of fix up and set up and um, he's going to drop this fertility statue off at this other dealer and then go and spend a weekend at this house um, riding his motorcycle there. So stops to get a petrol and this young woman in a Mini Cooper backs into his motorcycle, wrecks the um, spokes or whatever the fuck uh, holds a wheel on a motorcycle. Um, so he has to put it in the shop and then he kind of browbeats her into like, well, hey, you know, since you messed up my weekend, you're going to take me to the place I need to go and I'm going to drive because I'm the man and you're the woman. Um, which I also think, so this is side point, but he's this long haired, you know, well-groomed. Um, he's got a beard. He wears these like kind of stylish, almost like that whole i don't know what you call it like mod sort of look mm -hmm. um but immediately like just falls into the standard you know like british role of i'm the man and i'm going to be in charge of the situation and i'm the one that's going to like you know protect you but anyway <clears throat> so she convinces him that instead of driving to the place that he wants to go because his idea is well you'll drive me there and drop me off and then you can just go wherever you want um she convinces him to take her to her sister's and brother-in-law's house because um, her sister is a heroin addict and they're going to put her into, <clears throat> what do you call it? Like um, medical facilities, basically. Um, and she feels like time is of the essence. So he relents um, and they go, you know, to the sister's house and then on their way there, they get lost. So they stop at this and Number one, I think that Growl films this movie beautifully. Like, I think he captures the greenness of, like, the English countryside, like, perfectly. So they stop at this farmhouse or this, like, this river that, or creek that's kind of, like, blocking their way. And he goes up to this farmhouse to get directions. And while he's there, he finds this machine that's being used that's pumping out radiation to kill all the insects that are in this the area and him being like this modern day um i don't know, like ivanhoe fucking hippie motherfucker um immediately takes umbrage to the fact that they're you know killing the ants and stuff because that's just part of nature and the scientists are like well fuck you because like it's safe and it's better to not have pests um so while he's like arguing with the scientists and getting directions um his female companion uh um fuck what's your name edna or something like that edna is um accosted in the car by this dude that comes like kind of walking up from the from the riverbank um who's like sodden and pale and has these weird like almost like and then another one of my favorite effects in this movies are the eyes of the um the creatures have like this like almost like cracked uh mm -hmm like fractured glass look to him um so he attacks her and she manages to like get out of the car and run up and falls in the river which I, actually makes me laugh every time i see it yes um but nobody believes her that she got attacked again you know this progressive man immediately becomes a chauvinist and is like uh you silly bitch like you didn't see anything um so they go to the brother and sister's house and um when they go to leave to get accommodations um, in the town, 
um the brother who's outside taking like photographs gets attacked by the same guy from the river um the sister is also attacked but the brother is killed so here is introduced like the equivalent to the warden character from um house of whipcord which is this police sergeant who's immediately suspicious of all of them because they're malcontents and hippies and you know he doesn't appreciate that the main character um the george the ray character has you know long hair and um is immediately suspicious that they're the ones that are responsible for like the death of this man but what it is is that the machine in the field is basically has interacted on a molecular level with the dead and is allowed like the one guy to come back and then that guy through some kind of like it's most fucking like ludicrous science ever but when the dead dead's blood touches another dead thing it causes that to reanimate Mm -hmm. but it also causes babies to turn into like feral like animals because when they're in the womb their molecular structure is very like tenuous as well apparently which is also like some really bad science um number one complaint about this movie like most common complaint i should say about this movie is 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 that kind of like almost ridiculousness of what's causing the zombies yeah see to me like what causes the zombies in night of the living dead right and actually in the original night of the living dead the zombies are creatures that are like created by the government in the original drafts that romero wrote in night of the living dead they were created by the government to um and then like escaped and can infect other people i mean it's always some sure like how is like some ludicrous pseudoscience any more ridiculous than you know star wormwood has fallen from the heavens and has caused the apocalypse or you know the necronomicon has been opened and now like the dead will walk the earth you like like if, if you're going to critique the reason why one set of zombies has come into the world, then you probably shouldn't be watching zombie movies because you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> um, so anyway, so they get stuck in this churchyard. Um, this police officer comes to kind of follow them because he thinks, you know, they're suspicious. They think they're killers, but then he gets trapped with them and then he gets killed. And then they find that fire is what will kill these zombies um but the police like basically like arrest them and you know accuse them of like the murder of the the cops and all these charred corpses that they find in the church um what do you call it like the coffin shed i guess or whatever um coffin shed sounds like a horror movie from the 1970s right probably more like the 80s um so anyway the girl is bitten by a zombie she's taken to the hospital um her sister uh gets infected by the husband's corpse who's at the hospital um the girl gets infected and turned into a zombie um when he comes to rescue her from the hospital she attacks him and then he gets shot to death by the sergeant um so there's a scene where the sergeant's leaving is basically like you know i've saved everyone by killing this maniac because no one will ever believe him when he's telling them like look like i know it's ridiculous but there's these fucking corpses that are attacking people um and so the last scene of the movie is the corpse of the um the main character like rising up in the guy's hotel room the sergeant's hotel room and 
um, attacking them and, you know, presumably killing them. So, but yeah, it's, um, it sounds ridiculous to explain it in this way, but it's really well filmed. Um, I think it's the cinematography in this movie is beautiful. Um, I love the way that Growl frames things and kind of um, like shoots in like medium a lot and will kind of just allow you to sort of like see, like let scenes play out in front of them kind of, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like, uh, I love the look of the zombies in this movie. Um, It's definitely very British in the sense that it's not like the heavily made up or ridiculously like rotted walking corpses of like the Italian horror. Like these are the animated corpses of people. They look like people just with, you know, their wounds that they died with and the clothes they died with. And there's a lot of realism there, which kind of harkens back to night of the living dead, like because they're in a hospital. So, you know, there's people that are bandaged and people that have been autopsied and, um, love the you know the slight makeup that just makes them look like kind of sallow and you know not quite right um i like all the principles in it i think that the dude um arthur kennedy that plays the police sergeant um is one of the best like i mean he's just like an absolute condemnation of that whole again like that mentality from this time period in britain of you know sex is bad and we need to return to like sort of officious moralist yeah like old moral values and we're letting people get like we're being too permissive with the youth of today it's just there's a lot of like because he becomes more of the guy that you think of as the villain of the movie more so than you know the zombies almost because the zombies are just and again, that's they're they're a product of bureaucracy because these dudes are like, well, um, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Like, you're we got money to run this machine and it's killing these ants, so it can't be too bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I kind of I, I love those exchanges between uh the main character and the two dudes that are kind of just like like fellow, like we're just out here doing our job, like stop trying to wreck our machine, right? Um. But yeah, it's it's a really good movie. It's really fun. This is another movie that I had never seen until later in my life. Um, I just bought it by happenstance, I think, at Best Buy. Um, probably on one of our trips, like, out to Best Buy in the mid-2000s. Right. Um, was so impressed by it immediately, just by the look of it, and kind of the almost, like, slow build that you, you know, because you don't really get, like, a whole lot of zombies until 40-some minutes into the movie, you know? But I think they do a really good job of, like, building the tension there and sort of bringing them out when they need to and also kind of showing you that it is like really reasonable that i mean obviously it's reasonable that no one would believe that the dead were walking the earth but that like nobody is seeing these things because the infection is so slow to spread because of what's actually causing it so anyway i um, really enjoyed it love this yeah happy to watch it again I, I liked it. I, I liked it. I liked it a lot more than I figured I would for some reason. Um, when I just saw like kind of like a brief synopsis, uh, I really liked the fact that I mean the creek scene that you described is probably like my favorite scene in it, only because it looks so good. Um, like the that that outdoors cinematography is really well done. I also like the fact that there's really not that many zombies in it. 
end like you said how they looked um but yeah it's a well-paced well-plotted uh story and i think there's like some interesting stuff about like you know environmentalism if you like kind of like really want to delve into the subtext i'd have to watch it again to have like a better um better argument or better feel of all that but um i find the stuff with like you know the like how they're created a little interesting even if it is um bad science um, yeah again it's like i think i think it's i think it's sub- subtextually i think there's a reason to all that and <clears throat> i mean i think definitely there's it's not so much environmentalism it's just the idea that there's like a callous disregard for the consequence of progress right right like not so much that like we're destroying the environment because in essence they're even though they're like kind of killing the ecosystem they're still like protecting the environment because they're making it so they can grow better fruit and vegetables right sure but it's like like look dude like this is just our job you know we got a grant to do this so we're just gonna do it holy shit did you hear that thunder i did that's some crazy thunder mm-hmm. we're all gonna die um yeah a really good movie it's the mood it's the mood of the harps um again it's another one that i think is kind of like I don't, I don't, I hate to use the term hidden gem, but I think sort of like an underrated classic from the time period. Um, it's available for free on YouTube in its entirety, uncut. Uh, so definitely, like, if you have, you know, two hours of your life that you want to check out, like, a pretty cool, sort of like underseen zombie movie, it's a, it's a good way to do it. Yeah. I, um, I saw where the the don't sequence. Um, I can't remember. Maybe it was on Wiki. I don't know. But um, I saw where the don't trailer in Grindhouse. Edgar Wright said that 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 this was like the inspiration. The promotional materials apparently for this movie was the inspiration for for that segment. Right, because one of the titles of this movie is "Don't Open the Window." Mm. Um, it also is called "The Living Dead in Manchester Morgue," hmm. um, which to me sounds like a like a monkey's. <laughs> parody or something so i think let sleeping corpses lie is probably the better way to go yeah yeah um all those are both of them are a bit of an awful i think but, um yeah. don't open the window doesn't make any sense right um, it really yeah but, uh, but what is you know that's not a conversation for right now um i was going to ask you about titles of horror movies because so 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 much imperative voice and i'm like don't do this or do this like it's always like these command this command language yeah. a lot of times and shit and we can talk about it for like just a couple of minutes because i have yeah. like i can you have movies that are very dif- like distinct titles that you just immediately recognize right mm-hmm. but then one of the things is kind of trying to vaguely tie the movie in with something else to sort of bring you into the theater to see it because you're reminded of something else so there's so many movies with don't in the title because honestly i have no idea but it's because i guess yeah it is that imperative like well i'm gonna do it anyway like obviously like let the right one in like like i like there's they use like imperative voice constantly well, there's don't go in the house, don't right, open yeah. the phone. Right, sure. Um, yeah, anyway, don't open yeah. the window. 
Yeah. Well, the yeah. Because they're all just like, I mean, there's three different horror titles. There's the Imperative Voice title. There's the there's the the s- s- noun that ends with the gerund of ing. Um, so it's like I just take out any random word that's on my screen here. The water falling. The remoting. <laughs> like, um, whatever. The... No, that doesn't work that doesn't work the inquiring like it's like there's so many like you know ones that are like that and then there's the the noun with some sort of prepositional phrase after it so um um but the the little girl or you know who lived down the lane or whatever like you know the last house on the left like it's like there that's the other title is like always with of in it and it's like it, it it's it's really weird like that like there's such a staple that is going on during this time um and it's continued to this day like if you go and just like just check a random thing like tubi voodoo and just look at all these horror titles that are out there even like the really terrible ones they all follow a lot of times the same principles of like naming conventions and it's like super weird to me like and it is interesting it's it's why i that's why I don't want to bring it up, but um, like it, it's something that like fascinates me and irks me kind of at the same time. Um, but yeah, let slipping corpses lie, right? Yeah, same thing. Um, but yeah, no, this is a good movie. I I, I was really shocked by it myself. Um, and uh, yeah, I I mean I recommend all the movies on this list. Like myself, like as someone who's not into horror, I think especially during this time period as much as you are. Um, but I really liked all these. Um, all right, number three on your list. This is a movie that we have talked about years ago, um, but it is reappearing, so this is the second time. It is directed by Jeff Gillen and Alan Ormsby. It is called Deranged. It stars Roberts Blossom, Cosit Lee, Leslie Carson, and Robert Warner. It has a 40% from critics out of five reviews, that is, mind you. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes and a 57% from audiences. So you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and um, why it's on the list? Uh, so one of my sentimental favorite horror movies of all time, um, a sort of, I don't know what you want to call it, like um, exaggeration of the crimes of Ed Gein uh, follows Ezra Cobb, the Roberts Blossom character, who's a... Um, socially awkward like retreating uh, middle-aged man still lives with his mother who's very domineering and religious um and this is very closely tied to <clears throat> ed Gein's actual like living arrangements and his relationship with his mom um she dies and he's kind of left alone to himself um never having been taught how to like function as an adult because he's always been under her kind of rule through his life um kind of has this almost second childhood in a way where he's reading like pulp magazines and shock horror magazines and cutting out you know bra and panty ads from like the paper and sticking them to his wall um eating beans out of a can without like even heating them up just this disgusting lifestyle um but slowly descends into the psychosis where he feels like his mother is um 
chastising him for letting her get buried. Uh, so he goes and he digs her up and basically um, tries to repair her putrescent corpse uh, unsuccessfully and realizes that he needs to find um, fresher skin with which to repair. So begins robbing graves. Um, has this relationship with this uh, neighboring family um, where he basically admits to his crimes and they think he's just being funny. So they kind of laugh it off uh, this husband and wife and their kids um, eventually moves to murder um, to gain the parts that he needs to build this family of older corpse women that he can kind of like take care of um, ends up trying to, form this weird like relationship with this woman that his mother said he could trust because she was fat um he ends up murdering her and that scene is amazingly like, hilarious him yes. and um yeah. uh shit i can't remember what her name is but he can trust her oh Ma maureen selby maureen selby yeah. oh the she, character's name gotcha because yeah. yeah, she, yeah. uh. she's fat she's fat don't trust her yeah. like yeah it's yeah if that's what it takes like that's, go yeah. ahead and get her um hilarious yeah he ends up finding this attractive, uh, like middle-aged um, bar waitress that he kind of falls in love with. And he um, probably my favorite, maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie um, slices her tires and then is there to kind of like white knight her, take her back to his house. And she discovers this is house of horrors and he kidnaps her and then ends up murdering her. Um, and then later kind of has the same infatuation with the girlfriend of the oldest son of his neighbors, um, who he stalks and, and shoots inside a um, general store that she works at uh, during deer hunting season and then stalks her in the snow and ends up taking her back to his barn where he strings her up upside down and guts her like a deer. Um, and that's how the movie ends. Um, book ended and um, kind of carried throughout by some narration, which I know that you're not a big fan of, but in the style of like this newspaper reporter who's sort of narrating the events for you. Um, aside from the fact that there's like one more like actual death than I think Ed Gein is responsible for, like pretty closely mirrors mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff that, you know, was involved with Gein, which is the um basically like creating everyday tools out of human body parts so like bowls out of the tops of skulls and a drum out of like the stretched skin of like some woman's belly um blossoms is amazing in this movie like this movie is 100 you know a, a vehicle for this performance um doing a really good job of kind of like swinging that pendulum between comedy and you know really like dark grotesque like horror mm -hmm. um where it never moves too far in either direction where you kind of get pulled out of like the element of either one um it keeps it you know entertaining and fast moving it's really well paced um i think really well directed i think that you know especially yes. um the the production design in this movie is amazing and um we'll talk about that with another movie on this list that is sim very similar to this movie but just the way that they build you know ezra cobb's house where it and where we where we grow up there's a lot of places that are like this from the exterior where it's these older houses that have some sort of like 
old farm utility but aren't used for that anymore so there's you know some barn in the corner of a yard or they have like a farmhouse look but they're sort of run down and you know the paint's peeling and the wood's kind of cracked and you always kind of wonder like what's going on in those houses and it definitely pulls that um sort of like small horror um that people like lynch do really well um and just you know i don't know it's just the the scene where he has all the women like assembled around his victrola where he's wearing like the skin of his a woman on his face and amazing scene yeah um just the like mm-hmm. like noise he makes is fucking, like so on point and crazy and like you really feel like the horror of um uh shit i can't remember mary fuck i gotta look it up uh, the character's name mary mary ransom mm. um the woman the bar waitress city murders yeah. um like you feel the horror in her um her situation and it really feels desperate and even when you think that she might be able to get away like him running after her like swinging a leg bone to knock her out and it's just great scene um yeah this is another one that super sentimental favorite for me from this time period another one that i knew nothing about prior to seeing it and i actually um picked it up i was probably a senior in high school um from the video clearance outlet up in delaware where you would buy it was three three vhs's for ten dollars um so it was almost like renting so you could go in and you could trade in movies you get a dollar for every tape you traded in and it was one of the ones where i was just captivated by the cover of it um the cover is the shapely legs of a woman hanging upside down and it's like um fuck what is it sweet sweet sally may hold on i gotta read it because it's really good like the tagline i mean pretty sally may died a very unnatural death and then but the worst hasn't happened to her yet and it's just like blossoms like in the corner like kind of like half his face like peering out at you yeah Um, and and the girls upside down like the legs are like the ankles are hog tied yeah, um, yeah. from above and you see the, the 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 subtle thing is the silhouette there um like that's behind her on the on the shades um that's behind over blossom's shoulder which is showing her nude body um in the, in the shadow in the silhouette yeah um uh, an obviously drawn one i think and not a real one yeah, but it's um not but a it's it's a, it's a it looks like jessica rabbit or something but um like with all these things like all these posters and stuff like a lot of times there's this like level of titillation that goes on that um it's like that uh that i find really interesting it's like it's obviously trying to speak to certain people and draw them into the theater at times i mean the same thing is going on in house of whipcord in that poster um there's this element of sexual titillation that yeah draws people in but anyway it's um really good dramatization of what was at the time like one of the most shocking crimes um in american like history um a much closer representation than other movies that were inspired by those same crimes um and just a really enjoyable you know again like 90 minute or 80 minute i think it's pretty short yeah um film that you can sit down and kind of you know i i really enjoy it like every time i see it um and more for blossoms and just the look of the movie than anything else but 
you know, it's just, it feels like cold and dirty and I don't know. Mm-hmm. This is a really, really great combination of like the set design and the visuals that just kind of suck you in and make you feel that you're like trapped in this. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but like, it's, it's very effective. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So, this is the fourth time I've seen it now. And I want to clarify something you said earlier about me not being a fan of it. I don't think that's always been true. Uh, no, the, the 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 narration. I said the, yeah, the narration. No, no, I'm sorry. Yes, the narration specifically. I'm talking about like when. So we talked about this. I looked it up. Um, it's episode eleven mm. um, in October of 2018 um, is when we talked about this. And so, if you want to catch any differences, maybe in what we say, you can go back and listen to it. Um, but i've always found it very interesting like that tactic of what they do but the the longer i sit on it and and the more i watch it i sometimes i feel like it like having it be like this interstitial thing like the beginning and the end I i think i'm cool with i think it's like when it happens in the middle of the movie I don't I wish that wasn't happening I think the the longer I watch it and I think it's like my only complaint about this movie is that I wish during the watching of the movie it wasn't ripping me out of it um because I think the despite its comedic elements which there are quite a few um I I think this movie is really well done and extremely horrifying um as really like a kind of documentary style like telling of this fictional Gein's life um the only other thing that i wanted to point out like or mention besides that since we've talked about it a lot now um is i want to mention like the moral rectitude of the mother because it certainly ties into these other two movies that we've talked about already where it's like she thinks women are out to grab up men and there's only certain women that are okay and most women are promiscuous and trying to use men for their money um and most of them are like diseased and stuff like that and there's this intense hatred of women from the mother um and i just think it's interesting that there's and and what that creates psychologically in this character um of the son i I don't want to ignore that because it feels like it ties into this um, idea of like, you know, hatred of women or hatred of progress or hatred of youth, like, you know, that's already like you've talked about um, so well already. This is the movie out of all horror movies. I love this movie. Like, I really do. This is the movie that I would like if anybody hasn't watched this movie and listens to our horror podcast and i know we have like a dedicated group of people that listen to our horror podcast if you haven't watched this this is the one that i I would really love to see what people think about it Mm. um having watched it because i think that it's something having watched a lot of movies that you've told me to watch over the years in the 70s there's the ones that stand out one of going to show up on the list you know and it's like there's a number of others but um this is the one that it feels like nobody knows about there's five damn critical reviews that are up on rotten tomatoes and i think you keep mentioning the term hidden gem 
I think this is like the hidden gem almost of like the seventies in some ways that like most people have just never seen and don't know about. And I think it's yeah. excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great movie. Um, it's interesting that you bring up the mother because I don't really think of it like that just because it's very much like what Egin's mother was actually like. Um, her mm-hmm. funniest line is the wages of sin is syphilis, gonorrhea, and death. Yes. Um, that I used to say to people all the time, like when they were being promiscuous in real life. Um, to me, it's, you're right. Like there is, you know, a connection there, but it's, it's so very much like pulled directly from <clears throat> interviews with Gein after his capture and what they learned about like his life um and only exaggerating in sadly like really small ways that I I kind of think that that's more just the telling of the story and you know it's the fucking Araby apple tree it's like like I see it and like there's definitely that connection but they didn't have to include in the in the um they do to tell that story like that's a hundred percent like what caused Gein to be the dude that he was like was his fear and worship of his sure I mean, it's same thing woman with- woman shaming mother that right. caused him to be you know and i like from so isn't it more horrifying that it's actually based on real life then oh yeah yeah 100 percent. so there's a really good graphic novel um that was released earlier this year called um have you heard what eddie Gein done Mm-hmm. um amazing that tells like the entirety of his life and through the um the murders and um bernice warden is the name of the woman that he killed that was actually in the uh, she ran the um general store where he shot her and took her body back and that's what got, got him caught um which is almost like exactly reenacted in the sally may thing except they make it a you know buxom like beautiful young woman as opposed to bernice warden who was like a 55 year old like matronly like mm-hmm. mother figure which is what he was attracted to it was like our crumb disease or something but um yeah so if 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 you ever get the chance to read it it's it's really great really well interest and really well illustrated and well written and an incredibly like fascinating look at like the psychosis and like the early life and childhood of you know this dude that basically inspired a couple of my favorite movies of all time so yeah so um just to go just a little bit further with again real quick um how do you feel about um some of the other movies or i mean i guess maybe i shouldn't ask this yet but uh psycho is based on ed Gein, right it's inspired uh, by like yeah an, yeah um so Psycho, we've talked about before. It's a good movie. Um, Silence of the Lambs has a little bit of Gein influence, right? Like the obsession know. with female human flesh and making suits and shit like that. I mean, like yeah. that's all like Gein inspired, right? Um, have you seen a movie called Three Three on a Meat Hook? Yeah. Yeah. What's that? How How is that? It actually has some really cool, there's a scene where it's like a really long shot of a woman who's like escaped from the farmhouse that's trying to run through this like field 
as the dude is chasing her and it like it's look it's 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 not a great movie but it's got a couple scenes that really stick with you and like i actually always think about that scene um when i think about like rural like horror films so okay all right i just want to ask you about those other movies that kind of predated three on a three on a meat hook is on tubi i think okay it's somewhere for free because i see it pop up all the time and i think like i don't want to watch the movie but (laughs) right all right um yeah it's a hill it's a hill i'll die on with this movie is that i i think it's one of the best horror movies of the 70s that i I personally saw um fantastic yeah all right so number two on your list is bob clark's black christmas it stars olivia hussey here dahlia margot kidder and john saxon has a 71 percent from critics and a 75 percent from audiences so you want to tell us a little bit about this movie um if you don't mind working in like you know the importance of this movie mm-hmm. um as well and um and, and you. why you have it as number two on the list um so based on the urban legend of the call is coming from inside the house the you know babysitter um one of the earliest slasher movies uh, like true slasher movies definitely one of the first american slasher movies um in the sense of like kind of setting that stage of the people being like stalked and killed systematically um it follows a group of young women who live in a sorority um right around christmas um early on there's a first person scene of a person like climbing into the window an attic window at their house um the girls are one of the girls is kind of this like blousy like drunk um who's liberated but who's just kind of an asshole um one of the girls is kind of this more meek um artsy type girl there's um the olivia hussey character who's um british i guess um who it's kind of an intense relationship with her boyfriend because she's pregnant and he wants her to keep the baby and she doesn't want to keep the baby and that becomes like a major plot point later um a couple other women that live in the house and then their house mother who's this matronly like drunk woman that you know is sort of permissive and kind of just lets them get away with anything so over the course of like an evening um they're picked off and murdered one by one um by this killer who's staying in the like hiding in the attic and then coming down to commit these murders um as they're pulled in different directions because of the holidays and other things in their lives and you know he's a killer of opportunity where he takes advantage like when they're alone um the father of one of the girls is missing comes because um she was supposed to go home and she never went home so he's worried about her so he becomes a character uh the police are there's a police sergeant who's incompetent that kind of like stalls the investigation and then john saxon um notable character actor and b-movie actor from the 70s plays like this lieutenant who's more open-minded and willing to listen and you know trying to look for these women um there's a subplot where they keep getting obscene phone calls and it's the killer that's making them and he'll say things in like different voices there's actually a really i've seen this movie like probably 
nine or ten times in my life and i always forget how like just lewd and direct like the first obscene phone call they get like with the language that's used um and then eventually he says that he's going to kill them and then they become more like unhinged where he's talking in different voices and you kind of get this weird like so one of the things that i love about this movie is the fact that you never see the killer necessarily aside from like one shot of one eye and kind of the outline of the hair and then like because a lot of the killing is done in the first person right you also never get any backstory like he does they don't bog down this movie with this unnecessary like the kevin spaceyism of seven where you build this mystery and then you completely destroy it by having the person talk about like their fucked up life for like a half hour like there's it's you're never really given a hundred percent reason like why this person's killing these people Mm-hmm. what connection he has to any of them um it's kind of implied that maybe there was some um inappropriate incestuous relationship between the killer and his sister that was right. caught that caused him to like maybe kill his family or his parents or whatever mm-hmm. um but that's never 100 percent confirmed you just kind of get that through like the little snippets of dialogue like while he's on the phone and while he's talking to himself um in the attic um I think if I, I think if you can pinpoint so I know that like Twitch of the Death Nerve Bay of Blood really can kind of be traced back to the genesis of what became Friday the thirteenth and that series and really just kind of propelled like slasher horror. But I think if you look at one American movie, it's it's this movie that's really the movie that here's one person that's killed with, you know, a um garment bag. Mm-hmm. And then here's another person that's killed by being stabbed with a glass menagerie prop or whatever and you know just the different ways that people are killed and the whole stalking mysterious killer thing like it's it's very very innovative but the reason and so i i like all that stuff i think that clark does an amazing job directing it so real quick with that is this the movie then that brings the giallo idea of all like the different styles of kills almost just almost to have those like into american cinema then yeah but without the giallo need to like over explain like why yes the killer's doing it um or make everything about like sex or whatever even though i i think that's implied that it's behind it it's not it's not in your face and like it doesn't have like a kind of homesy and yeah like explanation at the end yeah so this movie treats these characters as real people and there's no slut shaming there's no condescending like puritanical and yes that question about like why they're less i guess less interesting in the 80s i think that's part of the problem is that you have like nudity and sex in movies like horror movies throughout the 80s but it's always with a consequence like it's almost like the director is condemning promiscuity or sexual liberation or just openness about someone's body by when you do that like when you take your top off you're going to get stabbed sure you know through your boobs in here like or or is mocking the idea that that is that that is it becomes such a trope that they're mocking that that happens at some point i think as well so like they're upending the reagan-esque like morality of the 80s at some point but yes sorry um so 
you've got um the olivia hussey character who is i think really well-rounded this woman who's just in a bad situation where this dude that she is in a relationship with but doesn't really like got her pregnant and she just wants to have an abortion and move on with it and there's no judgmentalness from the director like from the standpoint of you know the way it's framed of being judgmental about it she's just making a choice and he's overreacting and you know he's a concert pianist and he's smashing his piano and like kind of stalking her to kind of almost like gaslight her into keeping the baby and trying to threaten her i think that's really fascinating like that dynamic um i think the idea of the older woman the older like student who's kind of a drunk and kind of an asshole and you know says too much but isn't a bad person because her goal is really just to protect the other people she lives with i think she's a fascinating character um the girl with the glasses like the mousy like artsy girl who's more reserved but also like more mature than most of them like that's a really fascinating character nobody aside from the one sergeant who's kind of played as a joke the guy that kind of causes like the delay in the investigation and um thinks that doesn't know what fellatio is when he's given the um phone directory address of fe for fellatio and anyway while that's played for a joke like john saxon isn't a bad dude like he's not presented like a a pig or like an asshole like most cops are in these movies he's just you know a guy that's got a lot going on being a small town detective and is just trying to do a good job um the boyfriend of the one girl that goes missing presented as like reasonable and caring and concerned let me tell you that there's the the character that i think is the most fascinating to watch in this movie from scene to scene is the father of the first girl that goes missing Mm. there's so many small things they do with his character to evoke different emotions from you without ever like drawing attention to it that it's one of the things i was really struck by so there's a scene where it's reported like throughout like early in the movie that there's this other like young girl that's gone missing this high school girl has gone missing like on her way home from somewhere Mm -hmm. and so there's a scene late in the movie where there's a body found in a park and so everyone gathers there because they're looking for you know the girl from the sorority house and it ends up being the body of the the high school girl that's gone missing that it's implied that the killer on his way to the sorority houses has murdered this girl but there's a scene where the father of this character like the father character and then the mother of the young girl are both like approaching the camera like looking down to like identify the body and this actor I don't even know what this dude's name is. Um, His name is James Edmund. James Edmund. I actually have looked him up like when I watched it. Yeah. So shows there's this almost imperceptible like relief that you see like his shoulders kind of slump a little bit. His face kind of falls a little bit because you can see him like release the tension Mm -hmm. and then immediately realize how horrific it is that he's feeling relief in this moment where this other human being next to him is like experiencing the worst moment of her life seeing her child murdered where he then like slowly and just gently like puts his arm around her and kind of pulls her to his chest and then like not tenses up but like straightens up to like give that support to her Mm -hmm. and it's just really like it's small things like that where 
I think it's a great horror movie in the sense of the way they hide the killer, the way they film him, like the voyeuristic way where he's just like shooting down through the stairs, almost like Psycho, kind of the way that it's shot. Sure. Like through the stairs, like down into the lobby or whatever, not lobby area, but like the um, foyer area. Mm -hmm. Um, But then like those other small moments, like there's an argument between Olivia Hussey and her boyfriend about a woman's right to choose to not keep a baby and it's so powerful and doesn't even like 100 for the course of this movie doesn't need to be in there like the movie would be fine without it but it adds such an element of humanity mm-hmm. and believability to these characters and i just i i know that people like respect black christmas and there's a lot of people that consider it like one of the best art movies ever made but i still don't think that it necessarily gets as much praise as it deserves for just being like one of the <clears throat> one of the best most well-crafted complete movies of this era in a horror movie where even though the central like gimmick or whatever you want to call it are the murders that there's so much else going on that it still is an enjoyable movie to watch outside of like all the deaths and it actually makes it more interesting to see the deaths and you feel more invested in the deaths of these characters like when olivia like yes. i I don't good or bad whether the characters are it's just slices of life right I don't right. I don't get scared watching movies anymore um it's almost very rare when I really feel like palpable tension watching a movie mm-hmm. every single time Olivia Hussey is about to leave that house and is still calling for her, for her dead friends to come with her and is walking back in I swear to god like my like chest like knots <laughs> up every single time that happens because i'm just like just fucking leave right because you've gotten so much built into this person and she's she's a pretty underrated actress herself i i think Mm -hmm. but sure the like um, the emotion there and just the tension and the fact that like they cut the camera where like it's like a low angle where you know it's third person but then it's like slightly up a little bit more where it's him and you know that he's like looking at her from the shadows it's just so fantastically filmed so um and one of the better endings i think because it's a very dark ending like these fucking asshole cops and everybody that are all there like like you know save her leave her in the house with the killer because they just make this assumption that her boyfriend was the killer all along and he's there you know um ringing the phone um one of my favorite ending shots like almost on par with my love for repulsion um, and the shining ending shots, which is the pullback of the original girl face wrapped in the garment bag, like through the window and out the window, just like sitting there, you know, in like whatever dead repose Mm -hmm. um, with that like plastic sucked into her mouth, which to me is like a horrific way to think about dying. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing movie. Um, You can see its influence across probably a hundred slasher movies right um has a pseudo sequel that came out in like 2004 that goes way too much in depth about the backstory of um uh billy who they end up calling the killer um and then well i mean i i think the he the the thing on the phone is Billy and Agnes if i remember i think that's why they call him it's it's why they call him Billy i think well no no, no, i'm sorry Uh, Billy is yeah you're right I, I didn't mean to say it like 
you'd never hear his name. I'm just saying. Oh, okay, gotcha. Sorry. Billy is what the killer is is called. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there. So the interesting thing though is you never get any because that could be Agnes killing people in that house too. Oh, no, that's true. Like that's true. you never see that it's a man. There's right. never anything that specifically details who is killing mm-hmm. these people. Um, and then, and I didn't even know that this existed until we were talking about this movie via text the other day. There is a fucking batshit insane remake of this movie from 2019. Mm-hmm. I, I think someday if we have like a supplemental episode for some reason, I think we're going to do a first watch of this movie together <laughs> because it just sounds like the worst. Number one, it's just Black Christmas in name only. Like There is absolutely nothing right. that ties these two movies together. And they takes place in a college campus. Like there's your two things. I mean, they're not even a sorority, right? Like, no, they're in a. They're, they're in it's some more kind about of like a bad Ferrari. It seems, Ferrari, Ferrari, fraternity, fraternity. Sorry, <laughs> I was. I pledged a kappa gaba gaba from <laughs> Ferrari. <laughs> anyway, this movie's brilliant. It's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Um, I wish that there was a better transfer of it because. It's always going to be kind of like, it's got that real like grainy, like 70s pop to it. And I think that works, but I really would like to see like a pristine copy because the other thing too is everybody, everybody's always like, whatever, like all about diehards of Christmas movie. I know it's called Black Christmas. Black Christmas is like the best like Christmas movie. There's lights everywhere. It looks festive. I, the opening scene where they're going around the house and they have those lights on like the wreaths and stuff outside. Mm-hmm. beautiful fucking like christmas setting like it looks really good and then to have that juxtaposition of this killer like sneaking into their house man it's just it's, it's such a fucking good movie real quick where did you where did you watch this at i don't remember because it's available everywhere like absolutely everywhere yeah i don't know the the, the first place i found it okay the the, the youtube copy like because it's free on youtube the youtube version i saw was really really looked really nice yeah i should check it out um, it's one of the, it's it's a weird movie that I don't think I own on DVD. If I do, I don't I don't have it like here or whatever. It might be in storage at my parents, but yeah, whenever I get the chance to watch, I I, I probably watch this movie every like one or two years on average. Hmm. Um, I've probably seen it like ten or eleven times. That's something I did not know, but okay, yeah, yeah, because I just I don't know. I always really get into it. I'm I always really get invested in the characters. Yeah. You never talk about this movie like outside of like ever. Like I didn't know, I, know. I didn't know about that. So well, you know, the number one movie is the movie whenever we talk about like sure. sure. I just always because I know that you'd seen this movie before, and I think that um our friend Chuck like really likes this movie, and him and I like used to bond over how much we loved it. I have not um, seen this movie in close to 30 years. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, I I don't know. It I was mean, excellent. I I I I liked it when I was a teenager, but no, I I I have a whole new appreciation for this movie. It's really well done. It's also really funny that you look at like Bob Clark and you bookend his life. <laughs> oh, you you're, you're going to do Bob Clark like this? Uh, all right. <laughs> no, no. I, I I think it's. I actually think this is a testament to the brilliance of Bob Bob Clark as a creator. <laughs> okay that he makes this movie which to me is a perfect like christmas horror movie like more than silent night deadly night or whatever 
Uh like i love black christmas as a christmas horror movie and then overexposure aside makes probably the most perfect like boomer christmas movie of all time like traditional christmas movie in a christmas story you know and something okay gotcha what'd you think i was gonna say (laughs) well you're stopping his career in 1983 i thought you were going to go beyond 83 no 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 i'm just saying it's like a bookend like yes that yes Mm -hmm. that there's it's this amazing like career this man has and honestly somebody that i don't know i maybe because of like a christmas story and the fact that he's just kind of known by the majority of people for that and the fact that um i mean he really just made some garbage like later in his career but innovative very organic and deep or or like fluid and organic but also detail-oriented director who can frame things like amazingly who captures like the life of a scene in the way Mm -hmm. that he like sets his camera up always picks really interesting topics to cover and just fantastic filmmaker i mean i think i think bob i think bob clark is a really like underappreciated dude yeah agreed if you're going from 1972 to 1983 yeah and then just like stop um at that point with well right because so you got children shouldn't play with dead things one of my favorite zombie movies or whatever you want to call it zombie post-apocalyptic or apocalyptic movies yeah death dream which is small but super underrated it's like a monkey's paw you know motif about the vietnam war Mm -hmm. black christmas talked about you know amazing murder by decree one of my favorite fucking sherlock holmes movies of all time breaking breaking point is something i don't know what it is but reading about it i should watch it um crime movie i mean your mileage may vary but the porky's movies which were super influential in like the Mm -hmm. teen sex comedy genre and basically like sparked and you know created an entire subgenre for the 80s of like you know ski school and fucking um girls school and whatever other school but um and then a christmas story and you know yeah then we don't need to talk about anything then we don't need to talk about anything else yes um Um, but yeah just yeah yeah. no it is no you're right i I wasn't thinking about a christmas story necessarily when you said that but uh, yes it's a and to tie back into our previous movie bob clark um pretty frequent collaborator with mr alan ormsby yeah and like i think Um, a ghost produced right like um deranged i'm pretty sure yeah yeah and ormsby you know the central actor and um helped write the script for children shouldn't play with dead things so Mm -hmm. but yeah just that that two-year period of time is amazing like how much greatness came out of those two dudes Mm -hmm. um yeah absolutely so yeah you ready to do it i'm ready to do it i'm excited (laughs) You gotta do the thing. Yeah. All right. Um, number one on the list, it should come as no surprise if you listen to this, is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, directed by Toby Hooper. It stars Marilyn Burns, Paul Pertain, Edwin Neal, Jim Cedow, and Gunnar Hansen. It has an 89% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and 82% from audiences. So um I I don't know if you need to do anything with the summary of this but um if you wanted to try to 
do it concisely, but um, I'm interested to hear what you have to say because um, I've I feel like I've heard it all so um, <laughs> from you before. Maybe the audience has. I don't know if you've had more than like a 15 minute conversation with me about movies. <laughs> um, you've probably heard me talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, so this is the other end of the spectrum from deranged in terms of uh ed gein's crimes where it's very 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 loosely based on gein and what he did and more so in the idea of like um the building things out of like corpses and bones and the wearing of the skin like over the face um i think we've talked about this movie probably at least twice on the podcast is that right no it's only it's only that episode 11 i believe Um, we talked a little bit about it when we because we covered worst horror remakes and we probably talked a little bit about this movie because we talked about how bad that 2000s version of this was yeah so very brief follows um two couples and franklin who's a, a wheelchair bound um blight on society basically like a hole in the universe um who are traveling to reconcile um the gravesite of a, the grandfather of Sally, who's one of the um, Sally Hardesty, who's one of the passengers that's been defiled. Um, on the way back, they stop by the grandfather's old place and then run afoul of a family of cannibalistic psychopaths um, that end up taking the lives of all of them but Sally. And then, really, the question is like, what remains of Sally after she escaped like this horrific thing? Um, who will survive and what will be left of them uh one of the taglines of texas chainsaw massacre one of the greatest taglines for a movie ever um introduces one of the most iconic um horror villains of all time in leatherface um this hulking man child who wears the skin of his victims um as a second face over his own um you know who wields a chainsaw like a sword basically and um, is the cook the or the the butcher basically of like people for his family um brilliantly constructed set that kind of melds this folksy down home like country house with a chamber of horrors including like a sliding metal door <clears throat> that hides like the area where you know leatherface is cutting up the bodies and putting them in cold storage um brilliantly captures the um the setting of like the 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 sun setting on this like hot texas environment you know and like these kind of like dry and dusty fields and woods um small things that hooper does to kind of just build tension like um you know watches impaled on a a nail hanging from a tree and um, the house has like the um, military like camo net like hiding like dozens of abandoned cars and a generator and just the there's very few movies I think that capture the feeling of like like a hot July day than Texas Chainsaw Massacre in yeah. the sense where like there's that like almost like pregnant like heaviness in the air where it's like it's so hot that nothing moves and nothing's making sound and it's just the generator and the clack of like the windmill and the jangle of these you know 
casts off like um, trophies that they've hung in the trees um, to the point where when you finally like hear the noise like the leather face hoot and the door slam closed it's like so jarring and so shocking that i, I don't know how do, it, how, how do you how do you think he accomplishes that like that that feeling of that summer day he actually starts it from the very opening like frame of the movie so mm -hmm. the first thing you see is um i can't remember how they achieved the effect but it looks like sunspots basically that you're mm -hmm. seeing yep. i i think it's i think it's like some kind of like dyed liquid and like underlit or something i, mm -hmm. I can't remember i've been a long time since I've, I've watched a documentary about this movie but um the sun is always very like full in the sky like whenever he films the sun the sun is big and just present um he films like a lot of low angles where you have like more sky that completely open sky just yeah. like pressing down mm -hmm. um He's also very careful to film. Um, they don't really ever show any kind of like water or liquid, like everything. The only time you really ever see anything that like amounts to like whatever, like hydration or like a relief from just the like slate white of like the because he overexposes the sky so it's not like super blue mm -hmm. it's always like very like faded blue but it just feels like oppressive like the sun is just filling everything and like pushing down um and there's actually a few times where he films from like far away where you can see like waves of heat right. because they did film yes. this movie in the right. middle of the summer sure. so um that's yeah. actually one of the stories is how like terrible the conditions were like while they were yeah, making people were like having like heat exhaustion and stuff like that apparently. you know but they're they they pull into the gas station the well, Franklin's always sweating, isn't he? Franklin's constantly drenched in sweat, right, but I mean, yeah. like, you don't want to drink that. Um, I don't know, maybe. Like, I'm not casting aspersions in anybody. Don't, don't kink, do, do not kink shame. Right, you're right, you're right. Like, um, so I'm the not. the attendant comes out, and he's, like, wiping down the car with this, like, dirty rag, and it's just, like, dirty, soapy water. And that's the last time you get any kind of relief in that movie, because everything... The outside stuff feels very hot. It's all very low angles. It's like one of my favorite shots in the whole movie. Um, maybe I don't know. Like it's it's hard to call this the most iconic shot, but it's one where I always realize like how great Toby Hooper could have been if whatever happened to Toby Hooper didn't happen to him. Is that um, the curly haired girl? Um, I can't remember the character's name. Is um sitting on a swing outside of the um, pam right yeah pam you're right pam mm -hmm. i'm sorry sitting on a swing and her boyfriend has gone in the house because at this point he's already um been hit in the head and dragged in the back right and he comes in slightly like, like under like her butt and she gets up and then he follows her she's like walking up and it's like there's just a little bit of sky off to one side and you can kind of see a little bit, but it's like everything is just like drawing into that house and it's all still and it's just her voice and it's quiet and the paint's like peeling slightly on the um, the porch and, you know, there's the creak of the door and it just builds that tension so perfectly mm -hmm. 
and it's like it's almost like a nothing scene like again it's like talking about black christmas like it's very subtle and it's like almost doesn't matter but it's so good and it leads up to like this horrific you know where she's grabbed and like pulled like by her waist and then one of them like probably what then is maybe the scene that everybody always thinks about is Leatherface lifting her up and you think like placing her on the meat hook where like you see the hook go through but just cut so perfectly where it's just the implication that that's what happened right um yeah just so you're talking about that scene I do want to ask you about that because it's something I, I mean I've seen this movie a dozen times maybe I guess in my life but um it's something I guess I never noticed before Cedal um uh the old man like you know right like comes in yeah. at at some point and like is asking Leatherface did you let those kids get away or whatever um i don't think i ever noticed before that leatherface is points he points to the freezer and then he points to the sausage that's on the table like he gestures towards it and then gestures towards the furnace um the implication there is that is kirk right Right. that's on the table the sausage i don't think i ever caught that like ever before is that like it's Leatherface is trying to tell him like no <laughs> like she's in I the already, freezer right I already, I already right I already cut him up and put him in the furnace and cook the meat um I I don't think I've ever noticed that before like the pointing that he does like the gesturing that he does like to, to point that out um, one of the so one of the funniest I don't know funny is the right word but one of the the moment of comic relief in this movie I guess is there's like a point where so he's killed Pam and he's killed he's killed Kirk and he's killed Pam. Mm-hmm. And Leatherface is like sits down and just like puts his head in his hands. Oh, and it's it, like it's actually sad. Like almost. so to me it's comedic because I always read that scene as Leatherface is like, Where the fuck are these people coming from? <laughs> right. Like, right, but as <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sorry. Like, <laughs> why are there so many people coming in my house that I gotta kill? Right. Like he's just confused that you know. Yes. I find that confusion a little bit sad though. Like I like mean they he, like he's he can't really comprehend like what's going on here. Right. And you almost need to just watch this movie in a vacuum and not ever think about any other iteration of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. Um, because your mileage is going to vary with all of them, and some people really like the more modern stuff. And to be honest, there's a couple of the modern ones that I think are okay, um, that I like more than others, and some of them I think are travesties. And the one that just came out this year is one of the most god awful pieces of shit <laughs> like ever filmed. Um, but you watch like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and they kind of inject more comedy into it, and Leatherface is kind of not a joke, but he's just not like mysterious like he is in this movie right um and that's also true in three and the next generation which is terrible mm-hmm. but like if you just watch this movie in a vacuum there's so little the information that you get is that grandpa used to be really good at slaughtering cows right. they automated the process so they lost their jobs like at the slaughterhouses right. because now everything's like moved beyond their technical capabilities because they're all about swinging the hammer you know and a chisel into somebody's noggin and they like to you know 
basically eat people and that's it that's all well, you right get. they they don't have any meat anymore so they they kill people instead of animals they i mean yeah so to me though i mean Toby that's Hooper like was a vegetarian i mean like this there there's an obvious like you know kind of thing about the way animals are treated and like he's replacing the animals with humans and this i mean yeah so to me um like as a whatever like as a microcosm like just taking it from opening frame to closing frame you know of sally being driven away in the truck like you I can think, just, i think that's the best shot of the movie myself. yeah it's it's fantastic with him dancing in the background swinging yeah i don't even mean him dancing i think it's her in the back of that just screaming hysterically yeah, the whole like the mask of blood on her face and yeah i, I shirt think like all slashed open in the back I, I honestly i don't even think i need him dancing like with the chainsaw like i like you need it <laughs> i know it's the most iconic shot of the movie probably no, I, I don't know there's a hundred shots that could be called yeah the most yeah I, I i think that is is the thing that sells the actual trauma of it is and it, and all it took is one shot but more than anything like everything you need to get from that movie you get in that movie with no external context and mm-hmm. it's it's been a really long time since i've seen this movie for the first time um majority of my life at this point honestly but there's just something so visceral and encompassing about watching this movie where no matter what like i i i think it just sucks you in like every time you see it and for me i'm just always amazed by how how hooper you know you got the john larroquette narration narration to start the movie where it's, you know, this is based on true events, the most heinous crime in American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, whatever. And then the right away, like it's this atonal noise that makes no sense in your brain that sets the tone for the movie and then just continues, you know, with like the shots of the different parts of the corpse and the um reporter in the background like only parts of the corpse have been removed and just from the mm-hmm. that opening all the way through like it never gives you a moment of peace it never gives you a moment to relax it's always like he's always washing out certain parts of the background or certain parts of like the color of something that makes it all seem like hyper real and dreamlike at the same time mm-hmm um i don't know it's to me it's one of the most let me ask you this real quick so it takes about 30 minutes into this movie because you say that it's like you know it doesn't let you go right away but it takes about 30 minutes before the kill kind of like happens in this movie um it's very close to 30 minutes like 28 29 if i remember correctly um or at least you think the kill could happen like soon and so when you say that like do you think give me your interpretation of franklin like wh- why is franklin here like what is the what is the need or the importance of franklin as a narrative device in those first like 27 minutes before the actual action starts
It's a really interesting question. So in a lot of cases, I would argue that the character like Franklin is the proxy for the audience, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. I think that what Franklin does is Franklin is, is nervous energy. Like Mm -hmm. from the opening scene, because Hooper's not just going to like immediately jump into like murders that Franklin puts you on edge yes, because you're yep. you're hearing Franklin's whininess and petulance and almost yeah. like perverse curiosity about things that he shouldn't be curious about right where it it's not just like four attractive people riding in a van talking about astrology there's this <laughs> dissonant element to it that again like it, and then it starts with the. Let me tell you, know, you about the how the cows are killed. Well, I mean, before that, it's it's those tuning fork hits that just did. Again, he just he's never letting you rest. Like he's never giving you moments yeah. where there's not something. And there's another. Here's another scene where that's true. They walk into a room in the grandfather's old house, and there's a pod of daddy long legs up in the corner of you know one of the rooms and it's just this like almost alien like chittering noise that spiders don't make Mm -hmm. but when you're looking at that scene it feels like that's obviously the sound that those spiders are making Mm -hmm. and it's again it's just you know these these small things that he does continuously throughout it's the way he moves the camera it's the way that the sound is produced it's the way that things are framed it's just continuous like there's no ebb and flow it's just tension 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 Mm -hmm. tension tension and i i'll tell you the truth the first release of tension in this movie like the very first time that you really get like a moment to kind of like suck air in Mm -hmm. is the moment that she jumps out the window and that glass shatters and she's laying on the ground like free Right, and he immediately like brings it right back, you know, with Leatherface like coming around the back with the chainsaw, and Mm -hmm. um, Hitchhiker like slashing at her with the straight razor. But he gives you like that one moment, just like (gasps) there's hope, like when that glass shatters because she's finally got. And the scene before that is so tense because it's just like thump 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 thump, and then the hammer's up, and then the hammer drops in the pan, and it's clatter clatter. And the noise from like Grant, the noise from like um, the cook, and the noise from the hitchhiker, and and pig squeals in yeah. the background, like when you're getting close ups of her eyes and shit like that. Which I mean, there's no pigs there, <laughs> uh, whatsoever. Like in that scene, like you know, but there's pig squeals when they get close ups of her eyes and her freaking out and shit like that. Um. No, that 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 dinner scene is excellent, and the dinner scene, like, one of the things is like there there is funny shit in this. Like, I do think even 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 as horrific it is as it is, I think you can become desensitized to it to some degree. Like, if you've seen it enough times, I'm sure you have to be like where you can see, recognize the humor in that scene. So it's not. So here's the thing, and you're right. But the problem is that the humor is not meant for you to laugh at. The humor comes from them finding the situation funny. 
you know, it's the cook like, ah, you idiot, bah! and then like sitting down, like, ah, <laughs> you, like it's a nervous laughter, but yeah, but maybe and it is because they find it funny in some way. It, well, no, it's it's not. It's because it's, I, we talked about this like three years ago or whatever, or four years ago. It's like it's because it's like it's a mock fam, it's a mock like family with like a mother, a son, and a and, and a dad and the grandpa like you know and it's like it's playing out like it's a normal damn dinner and i think that's where the humor of it comes from right but a dinner from hell i mean yeah oh absolutely the, absolutely sure. actually the title of like a article or a, whatever about this movie hmm. um yeah again i just frame by frame i think one of the most perfect movies ever filmed that completely completely captures exactly what it wants to do for every moment that you're watching it okay if that makes sense it does i have two things i want to bring up to you is one has an 82 percent from audiences so I, i i dug into the um the negative ones on that this is coming from young people um that are watching it for the first time in the past five years let's say um and think that it's laughable like the entire thing like watching it with the perspective of probably seeing a lot of other things that are more current or more recent Do you think you can understand that? No, I think that's just the whole like, okay, boomer reaction to things. Hmm. So, okay, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. You're not a huge fan of horror from the 40s or 50s, right? Yes. You find it boring. You find it right. That's perfectly valid. It's perfectly valid if somebody thinks that this movie is laughable and whatever. Sure. Because there are certain things that can color your perspective on, especially movies, because through different time periods, it's just, it's just not the same. Like, people are going to watch something like, like, you watch something like Avatar, how do you ever go back and watch Lawnmower Man? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Not that I'm saying Lawnmower Man's a good movie, but it's just so different well i think that's one aspect of it and i think it does have to do with the like the way it's filmed and like what's available at the time like you know growing up in you know i'm only a few years behind you but it's like growing up in the 80s it's like i would see this kind of stuff on tv regularly in terms of like how it looked so it's not like this this is i'm used to this like this is where i live um like this and stuff from the 80s I think that somebody that like was born in like, you know, the late nineties, you know, two thousands would look at this and it's like, they're, yeah. Like they're going to like, think that it's like, you know, maybe cheesy or like, you know, like not very good or doesn't look good or have a hard time watching it where me, to me, you're right. I think that's the fifties and sixties in terms of like horror movies and stuff like that. I feel the same way. Um, I think you watched a lot more of that stuff growing up in the 50s and 60s on television and stuff like 
I think you started watching that stuff maybe at a younger age than I was, or they were showing it more, maybe a little bit more like when you were watching stuff possibly, or where you were watching it in Baltimore, who knows? But I mean, like, um, but yeah, like, so I, I think it makes sense. I wish more, I would, I, I wish people were more open-minded, but it makes sense, I guess, to me. Um, but so you came to the right. conclusion I did, I guess. I get it. I, um, I was, I, I was a little upset about it at first. That's the only reason I was asking, but the more I thought about it, it made sense. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like. What do I, what do I really dislike? I can't really think of like a specific genre or time period that I hate, but like, I don't know. Like, I just I understand. You know, yeah. I sometimes it's like you and Harryhausen too. You know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah. I watch stuff, especially like romantic dramas from like the '30s. Mm-hmm. I get really bored watching this stuff. Sure. I just I've gone with the wind. There's a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz. There's two movies that are like beloved and like considered classics of, you know, American cinema. Absolutely dislike them. Don't really find anything of merit in them. Right. But I understand why people like them. I mean, I I can get why almost why almost any movie has fans with very few exceptions. All right, so really quick, let's talk about just Toby Hooper real quick, and because you you mentioned it, what happened to Toby Hooper? So, from your perspective, what happened to Toby Hooper? I think maybe Poltergeist kind of ruined him. Um, I think maybe maybe he lost confidence in his own ability because of um, Spielberg or maybe studios lost confidence in giving him money because eaten alive, really good movie. I, I know that people are critics of it, but I really like life force a lot. Um, right. Well, that comes after Porter guys. Right. And, and I know you don't like it, but I, I'm a big fan of childhood from invaders from Mars. You've told me I'm pretty sure that you don't like that movie that much, but as a child, I really dug that movie a lot. Oh, no, I like Invaders from Mars. Oh. I'm a fan of that movie. Really? Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of nostalgic affection for that movie. Oh, okay. So, yeah, anyway, um, it was a really great list. Yeah, I wish Toby Hooper, I don't know. I think he just stopped getting opportunities, maybe, or maybe eventually he just, he did. I think, yeah, maybe he just didn't feel like doing it anymore because, mm-hmm. you know, he had his money, and I don't know, like what his financial state was, but I assume that, I don't know. Yeah, but you like Texas Chainsaw too a lot, right? I do. I love Texas Chainsaw too. Um, I always forget that he directed that. For some reason, I always think that Dennis Hopper directed that movie, like, in my mm-hmm. head. I don't know why. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird for making such an iconic movie. It's it's a really weird, weird career, um, especially since, like, I'm... We're going to talk about Quartergeist, I think, later this year, finally, but um, I'm positive he didn't direct most of that. <laughs> um... 
I'm pretty sure Spielberg probably is the one that directed it. So, um, but definitely that's something I want to talk about when we finally talk about that movie is like actually looking at it from a directorial standpoint and like seeing like what signs we see. But um, I think you're right. I think he did lose something after that movie, um, even if it was just reputation was. All right, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed all five of these movies. Um, some are rewatched and some weren't, but um, no, it's a great list. Um, we will be back in two weeks with the top five CGI animated movies. Um, and then the 150th episode, which will be at least three parts as of right now. And then we will be back at the end of June with the top five horrors of 1975. Yep. So, all right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good night. Thank you. Deuces.